So we're really glad that you joined us today, whether you're here in person or on the stream. I just want to say welcome. And we all know stories, right? We like stories and know stories. And if you were here last week, you got to see the amazing Dan Meyer do the sword swallowing, right? How many were creeped out by it? Just curious. Yeah, I could barely watch. I was like hiding my eyes. But anyways, um, it was really cool that he did that. But was what was most profound to me was his story about how he got there and all the things that he did. So I want to ask you a question, and this is going to take some audience participation, and you're going to guess. So what famous story is this? I'm going to describe it. Once upon a time, there was a little girl who wandered into the woods. She ate some porridge that was in the house. She sat in these different chairs, and she finally fell asleep in the small bed. She was awakened by the family of three, and when she saw them, she was so afraid, she ran out the door all the way home. What story is that? Goldilocks, right? So we could say all kinds of different stories, and you guys would probably know them. But much like famous stories, we all have a story. And I like to use stories because when we hear a story or read a story, it actually activates a part of our brain that fosters connection. So that's your first fill-in. If you're using your program or if you're on the app, it is we all connect with story. So go ahead and fill that in. So Jesus taught in the Bible through story. And, you know, we all have a story that's unique to our own lives. No one has your same story, just like nobody has my story. And my story is something that I would like to share with you today. And I hope and pray that you will find a connection and that God will help you find freedom in some area that you're struggling with. So thank you so much for allowing me to share my story today. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for every person that's here and on the live stream. God, I just surrender all to you right now. And I just ask that the people here, that you would change their hearts that you would give me your peace that surpasses all understanding, and that you would walk along with us every single step today. We love you, Lord. Thank you. So growing up, I considered myself to be a pretty happy, normal kid. We had all that we needed financially. I had lots of clothes, lots of toys, and um, I have one brother, and I participated in competitive dance. I did tap, jazz, and ballet for 10 years of my life, and then my brother raced motocross. So we traveled all across the country doing both dance and motocross. And we didn't grow up in church at all. Like, if you would have told me when I was a teenager that I would work for a church one day, I would have laughed it in your face Um, because we didn't know God. And my mom told us there was a God, but we didn't really, like, practice that or go to church or no relationship really was developed. But my mama and papa were my rocks in my life, and I actually have a little locket picture of them with me. It makes me feel safe when I carry it around. Um, They told me about God through, they would like talk about the Bible and read the Bible. And I stayed a lot at their house um, just, you know, when my parents were working or uh, on the weekends sometimes. And they would show us these Bible videos. Um, They were like cartoon, like Noah's Ark and just your like classic Bible videos. And I didn't realize it at the time, but they were really teaching me and instilling into me God. And one of my fondest memories was staying all night at my mama and papa's, and I would actually sleep in bed with my mama because she was, she had some health issues as well as my papa, Um, so they slept in separate rooms, and I would sleep in bed with her, and I remember laying in bed, and you know, when you're a kid, sometimes you just act like you're asleep because it's fun, and um, she would pray for so many people, and she had limited mobility, like she had to have a walker and a wheelchair sometimes, and she would literally get down on her knees 
and pray for so many people. And I just remember laying there and thinking, wow, that's so cool. So from the outside, I think we have a goofy 80s picture. If, if you're a kid of the 80s and 90s, you probably have a picture like this. I was like looking for a family picture and legit, this is all I could find. Um, so from the outside, you might think, you know, we were a normal family living the American dream, if that's still a thing. But inside our house, it was a lot different. So when I was about nine or ten years old, I remember waking up to the sound of glass shattering, and there was this loud thump on the outside of my door, and it was followed by my mother screaming, Get off of me! And it was followed by more of a scuffle, and then my dad screamed my mom's name, and I could tell by the way they were talking that they had been drinking. And my friend Katie woke up. She was staying all night with me, and she had this look of pure fear on her face. And she jumped at the loud sounds, and she said, What's happening? And all I could do was cry. I was so embarrassed of what was going on. I said, it's okay. They're just fighting. It'll be over. And we tried to go back to bed. And we had my dog with, with me, who I love, and hugged her in close to my side. And her body was shaking, and I was shaking. And I heard more shouting and cussing. And then there was more of a struggle. And then the, the front door slammed shut. And these voices started fading out into the night, much like my innocence. And I got out of bed, and I peeked outside the bedroom door, and um, my brother had all of his, like, racing plaques on the wall. They were all knocked off the wall. There was a hole in the wall. There was blood streaked down the wall. There was broken glass, and I shut the door really quick before Katie could get up. I didn't want her to see what was out there. So I told her to stay in my room, and I would be right back, and I bolted out the front door before she, or out my bedroom door before she had a chance to respond, and my bedroom wasn't far from the front door, and so I tiptoed carefully through the broken things, and one of Dad's friends was passed out on on the couch, and the chaos didn't even make him stir, and I walked out the front door, and I stepped into the grass, and my feet became cold and damp with the summer dew, and I began to cry harder as I watched my mom punch this lady in the face, and then it was actually my Aunt Teresa who was related by marriage, and she took this hard hit, and then she crawled into the car, and someone drove her away. And my brother approached the scene, and my brother was always out there. He was in the middle of it. He was sometimes, you know, in the middle, getting shoved, trying to break up the fight. And I can still hear the sound in his voice when, in desperation when he would just say, Just stop it! And they wouldn't. And... I found out later that night that my aunt had tried to get in bed with my dad when he was passed out, Um, and my mom walked in, and after she drove away, then my mom started crying, and I turned around and ran back into the house, and I ran back into where Katie was, and she's like, is everything okay? And I lied when I said, yeah, and I crawled back in bed with Katie and the dog and tried to go to sleep, but I was really worried about Katie because she wasn't supposed to know this. You know, none of this was supposed to happen in front of my friends, and no one had any idea of what went on in our house but our family, and I wanted to keep it that way, and she knew now, and I thought that my secret and our secret would be revealed. And if you know anything about dysfunctional families, you know, the family secrets stay in the family. And as you can tell, I grew up in an alcoholic home, and my parents had this, you know, pretty volatile relationship that involved a lot of fighting, and I kind of thought it was normal because no matter what the intensity, we never talked about it. It was just go about your business like nothing ever happened, you know. The TV might be broken, you know, there's holes in the wall. All this is around us, but no one ever talked about it. 
So my dad was a functioning alcoholic who worked all the time, and when he wasn't working, he was at the bars a lot. And he had his own issues, just like everyone else, like like me and like you and like all of us. And I think he really did the best that he knew how to do as a dad. And my mom provided so much for us, for my brother and I, and she was the rock of our family. But, you know, she had her issues, too, just like everybody else, and her issues were mainly with anger. And I love my parents with all of my heart, but their issues and dysfunction took a toll on my brother and I. So when things got out of hand, my parents would fight and break things, and Dad would sometimes leave, and it was just all too familiar to me. It was the reason why I, I was up till wee hours in the morning. My brother and I missed a lot of school. It was the reason that I didn't have friends stay all night very often. It was just the uncertainty of it all. And sometimes I wondered if other kids had to go through the same thing that I did, if their parents drank and fought, and I figured out that wasn't the case by the look on Katie's face that night. And so growing up, I remember sleeping with my mom a lot, and Dad would be at the bar, and so sometimes um, he wouldn't come home. Sometimes he would pass out in his chair. Sometimes he would, he would even pass out in the driveway. And now I know that my mom, you know, cried herself to sleep, but then she was made of stone in front of us. She just put on this front that everything was fine and dandy, and she was my inspiration, and she was there for me no matter what. But in her struggle for her own survival of the marriage, us kids were often casualties. And so when both parents would drink, it got really bad. And I can still remember the smell of cigarettes and booze in my mom's hair and on her breath when she would tuck me into bed. And that scent would bring out so much resentment because I knew that that was the reason that all of this stuff happened. So our life looked a certain way on the outside, and obviously many other things were going on at home. And this was a lot of what my brother and I went through growing up. And so flash forward a little bit to middle school, and I remember going to church camp with this local church. And to be honest, you know, I went because my friends were going, and they were like, hey, this is really fun. They have like a pool and all this stuff. So I was like, cool, I'll go. And uh, when we would sing the worship songs, I felt something, but I just wasn't sure what that was. And then after that, I started going to this other type of church with my aunt and uncle, and I love the music there as well. I've always connected with music, and if you're like me, you know, even this worship set today, you just really feel the presence of God. And at that specific church, it was very spiritual, and often I would cry, and I got saved there in 1997, whatever that meant, okay? I I literally didn't know what it meant. I was in middle school. Um, My aunt and uncle rejoiced, and they talked to me, and they were so excited. And all I know is music was on. They did an altar call. I went up, and I cried at the altar. And I got up, and they were like, did you get saved? Did you get saved? And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. No idea what that meant. Um, So I had that chance, and... In Revelation, it says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, I will open the door and I will come in and we will eat together. You see, in biblical times, sharing a meal with someone was very important. It meant actually sharing in a relationship with them. And Jesus intends to knock on the door of everyone's heart to see if we will have a relationship with him. You know, that day that I got saved, I honestly felt like my heart cried out to God, But after a while, I didn't experience any growth within God or myself. 
And the church that I went to was terrifying. It preached this list of to-dos and to-don'ts. And I was terrified of this wrathful God that hated me. And I was afraid to live or to die. And that specific place also taught that you could lose your salvation. So, like, you could screw up and not go to heaven without forgiveness. And I was afraid of constantly disappointing God. So, at the end of my eighth grade year, I was like, I went there, but I was like, I'm never going to please God. And flashback to my family, my mom, after 17 years of marriage, filed for divorce. And shortly after that, I started drinking and smoking. And I swore because of my dad's alcoholism that I would never drink. And I was only 15, and I was drinking to the point of getting drunk. And when I first started high school, I played all these sports, and I did volleyball, and that took a lot of my time. And I made really good grades, and I was an athlete, but I still managed to binge drink and party. And I started partaking in what began as casual drug use. And I was diagnosed with lupus which is an autoimmune disease when I was a freshman in high school. And in retrospect, I think it was God's way of telling me to slow down. But I wasn't close to God, so I didn't listen. And I just kept on charging full force, doing drugs, drinking. And my group of friends, we would basically do anything you gave us, marijuana, Xanax, Oxycontin, morphine, all combined with alcohol. Psalm 57.1. Have mercy on me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until this disaster has passed. You guys, it's only by God's grace and mercy that I am standing here today. I should have died, like many of my friends that died from overdosing or from drunk driving. So as you can tell, by high school I was far from God and I had been through so much, and to escape the pain, I just drank and used drugs, and I sought to find acceptance, and I realized now I was self-medicating from anxiety, and I was an extreme mess and riddled with anxiety and depression. And also during this time, I witnessed my mom in an abusive relationship. And you guys, my mom was tough as nails. She grew up with four brothers. She was, like, not someone to mess with. Um, And she was not your normal person that you would think of. Not that there is a normal person, but if you think of the stereotypical domestic violence victim, that was not her. Because she fought, and she fought back, and she fought hard. And she was a very tough person. But I'm telling you, this man was stronger. He was terrifying. He actually tried to kill her a few times. I literally thought, I asked my dad for a gun, and I I thought I was going to have to kill him. Like, that's where I was. And one night I got this call from my mom, and she was sobbing and crying, and she was like, Dawn, please help me. And I could tell, like, something was going on, so I rushed home. And as I walked in, this guy takes this huge glass table and throws it and shatters all over the living room. And my heart starts pounding, and my eyes are welling up with tears. And my mom was on the ground, and he proceeded to go over to where she was lying on the ground, and he kicked her repeatedly in the ribs. And I grabbed the phone and took off running to call 911. And when he heard that I was calling the cops, he took off running away from the house. And my mom could barely walk, and she was getting sick from the pain, and her ribs were broken. And we knew he would be back after the cops left, um, because that's what abusers do. And that night, I carried my mom to the car, 
along with the weight of my family problems, a life of uncertainty, and what seemed like the weight of the world. And I was taking her to the hospital, and she was getting sick in this bag, and she kept saying, Don, I can't afford it. I, I don't have insurance. And Mom, your ribs are broken. I'm taking you to the hospital. And she said through her struggling breath and speech, and I knew that she meant business when she said, Don, please, I cannot go. And I had to listen to her. Okay, Mama. Then I started crying. This woman who had brought me up and made me into the person that I am and comforted me through all of my life issues was in pain and there was nothing I could do about it. And that night I took her and hid her at my best friend's house. And I did this when I was 16 years old. And I had a boyfriend all through high school that I partied with regularly and I lost my virginity to him and I viewed having sex as a way for someone to love me. And he engaged in drugs and alcohol, and so did I. And we partied all the time, and every night we were either looking for a party or we had a party. And of course, this was an unhealthy relationship that was based on being high or being messed up. So it ended just as quickly as it began. And after that high school relationship ended, and because I had given my body up and things like that, I went through a major state of depression, and I was basically addicted to Xanax. And I remember one time my best friend came to pick me up for school and she saw me snorting a pill in the bathroom before school and later she told me she knew I had a problem but if she confronted me then we would get in a fist fight. So the only person that could help me at that point was myself and after I took a whole script of my medication one night and a drunken night of desperation, I knew I had a problem. And I don't really remember a lot about what happened that night. I'm thankful I had good friends to take care of me. But I'm not sure if I was trying to kill myself or I really didn't care if I lived or died at that point. And I couldn't function for almost a week and I felt like the absolute worst person on earth. Paul in Second Corinthians reminds us that in our weakness he is strong. And his strength is made perfect in weakness. And from that point on, by God's grace, I stopped using prescription drugs. And I know I didn't have the strength to do it. But God was the one who brought me through it, even though I didn't have a relationship. Now, the alcohol, that was a total different story. So I made it through high school, and I decided to go to college. And I would be the first person in my family to go to college. And I was determined to graduate and The first year was rough. You know, I drank heavily. I had a lot of health issues. I had my lupus. Um, I was on a lot of medication. And alcohol was readily available and socially acceptable. And it took me two years of almost flunking out of college and getting arrested twice. No, I didn't go to jail. The youth kids are going to say this because they always ask me, Dawn, did you go to jail? And I'm like, no. I got fined. Okay. Okay. Um, Because they apparently can't believe I've never been to jail. Um, But I didn't stop drinking, but I at least pulled it together to make it to class because I was on academic probation. And then I brought my grades up, and eventually, the last two years, I made it on the dean's list. And I found this power through education and a way to escape the life that I had always known. And I was determined at all costs to succeed. And at this point, I went to this church that met at the YMCA called the JAR a few times. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. (laughs) So at the jar. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, seeks, finds. 
and it will be opened. I liked the jar, but I wasn't ready. And I didn't make it a priority to go. Plus, on the weekends, I was either working my two jobs or battling a hangover. So meanwhile, I found myself in a toxic and abusive relationship. As we often know, cycles in families repeat themselves. So first it was just controlling, like, don't wear that. Don't go there. Don't hang out with them. Don't wear makeup. Then it progressed into diminishing my self-worth. You're ugly. No one wants you. You're a whore. Then it moved to verbal abuse. Then it moved eventually into physical abuse, pushing me down, holding me down, blocking my way, grabbing me, spitting at me. At one point, this person held a shotgun to my face, and I took the barrel and I put it to my head, and I said, do it. I didn't value myself, and I was afraid. I was afraid what might happen if I stayed. I was afraid what might happen if I left. We were both very toxic. And I'm telling you right now, if you're in an abusive relationship or a toxic relationship, please get out. I don't care how many times it takes. If it takes you 100 times, keep going and get out. Because if it gets to that point, the only other way that you're going to get out might be in a body bag. So with this relationship going on, I finally graduated from Ball State. That was a terrible picture, but that's all I had. (laughs) And I had been in this toxic relationship off and on through college, and I was offered this job in a whole other town two hours away. I was like, yes, I can finally get out and have a fresh start and get away from this relationship and this person. And it was really difficult, but I finally got away, and I felt like it was a fresh start for me. And you, you know what? In many ways it was. But there's this saying, wherever you go, there you'll be. So no matter where you go and how many ways you try to escape your issues and trauma and your hurts from the past, they follow you guys and they'll still be there. So I was battling this drinking problem and immense pain and I had so many emotions, especially anger, and I was just trying to fill this void. And so I tried, you know, dating new people, bought a new car, got new clothes, new friends, you name it. And nothing really ever seemed to satisfy me. And when I was there, I actually got really sick with mono. And with my lupus, it really took a toll on me. So I was used to, you know, working all the time and keeping myself busy. And I was out of work for almost a month and I could barely move. And this caused me to do a lot. I mean, a lot of thinking. This is before Netflix, guys. There's only so much daytime television you could watch, right? (laughs) And I was thinking about things that I didn't want to think about and thinking about things that I should have thought about, and this sent me into a state of depression. And it was during these moments in bed that I experienced a connection with God. I started praying more often. I started reading my Bible, and I started reading books about God, and I started reading a devotional by Joyce Myers, who I love, and I just conversed with God. I had this normal conversation. Psalm 34, 17 through 18 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and save those who are crushed in spirit. At this point in my life, I decided to depend on God. I didn't fully understand what that looked like, 
But you guys, I finally opened the door. And I gave my life to Christ when I was 26 years old. And it took me being in bed for a month to figure that out. And I ended up moving back to Muncie. And I started going to the jar regularly. And we were still at the Y then. And I felt really at home. And I, I loved the messages because I could relate to them since I didn't have a church background. It, Chris always made it easy for me to understand And these messages showed a loving father like God who loved me unconditionally. And he didn't care how screwed up I was. He just loved me. And my relationship was growing with God so much. And I finally felt like I was where I was supposed to be. But something was missing. You know, I was really still battling that depression. And because I had moved away and stopped partying, I found myself with no friends. Any of you who have ever been in recovery realize that once you stop partying, there's a lot of people that are gone, right? So I spent a few nights even going to bars by myself. Like I was trying to stop drinking and a lot of people were like, well, how did you just stop? And I didn't just stop. It was a gradual process that God allowed me to, he just lessened that desire for me. So I still drank, but it was less and less and he just worked on my heart. And then if I did go drink by myself, I would just feel even worse and like alone and depressed. And I didn't understand. I was finally getting my life together and following God, but I felt completely alone. And at that time, I only felt like I had God and my mom. And it was a hard road. And I actually, like I said before, I would drink alone and sometimes I would self-harm. And it was just this way for me to like feel physical pain to distract me from emotional pain. I hated myself and I felt like my situation was my fault. And I felt like I was wearing these chains and shackles that I had purchased on my own. They were my fault. I even thought of suicide, but the only thing that stopped me was my mom, my stepdad, my brother, and my dad, and thinking about what that would do to them. And I was just in a really bad place. And so one night, as I was reading the Bible, I found a scripture that said to honor my body, 1 Corinthians 6:19. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Being impure, drinking, cutting myself, that was disrespecting God. And from that moment on, I was like, I'm not going to disrespect you, God, anymore by hurting myself. I vowed to stop. And I was in such a deep depression that I cried out to God once again. And he had helped me walk away from so many things before. But I was still trying to control things and do it my own way. And I was so jealous of people that had, like, families and marriage. Like, when my best friends got married, and I was like, ugh, like, it grossed me out. And I mainly despised it because I thought, you know, I'll never have that, let alone is that something I deserve. So on a night where I cried for hours, I surrendered again. And I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I was tired of trying to control everything, and I made this agreement with God, and that agreement said that where he would lead, I would follow. And I decided to fully surrender and trust him with everything. And you guys, just because I had opened that door and accepted him didn't mean that he would ever stop pursuing me. So you can have the door open, but God's still there. You can have the door closed, and God is still there. He never stops pursuing us. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Our God is a strong shelter and a rock of refuge in whom we can hide during the storms of life. 
He was still knocking for me to surrender. And that's your next villain, guys. He never stops. I don't care if you've given your life to Christ a thousand times or you never have. I don't care if you're 16 or you're 60. He never stops pursuing you. You see, I'd already given my heart to the Lord, but I hadn't surrendered to his will and way for my life. So after doing that, I approached life differently. Wonderful things started happening. I had this faith that God would provide. And, you know, I kind of accepted, like, I don't think God has someone for me. I'm just going to embrace my singleness, and I'm just going to grow my relationship with God. And I just kind of come to terms with that. And I focused on God, and I did daily devotions and prayer and silent yielding. And I was finally working as a teacher, which only took me, I don't remember how many years, like three years or something after college, to finally get a teaching job. And I taught high school students, and I, I loved my job as a teacher. And this ages me, but Caleb was my student. Don't judge me. No. <laughs> there might be some other students in the audience here. Um, but... I wanted to love on the kids who had tough lives like I did. And I wanted to help them through their life and show God's love in practical ways. And so little did I know when I started teaching there, I would start coaching volleyball at that same school and that I would meet my husband. And I got to know Justin through working with him as a fellow teacher and a coach. And there were plenty of rumors about us dating before that ever really happened, which was hilarious because then it didn't end up happening. So the kids were like, I knew it. Um, but it sounds cliche, but after all that I had been through, Justin, I knew he was the one. And coming from someone who didn't even really believe in love, I thought it was a joke. That was huge for me. And I realized through surrendering myself to the Lord that he designed Justin just for me. Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. We dated for about a year, and we were married on May 19, 2013. I think we have a picture of us jumping. He didn't want to do that, but I made him. But that date was really significant because that was my mom and papa's wedding date. And they stayed married until they both passed. And, you know, I thought since I was following God, my husband was following God, and that our marriage would be easy. And people were like, Dawn, marriage is hard. And I'm like, dude, I got this. (laughs) Just hold a mirror up in front of your face, right? That's like looking in a mirror is like marriage. We've had our ups and downs. I've struggled with being self-centered and being reactive with my anger and working through all the things in my life. But you know what? We're both broken people just trying to do life together. We support one another, and I thank God every day for Justin being in my life. You know, he can put up with my crazy, so that says a lot about him. (laughs) And after doctors telling me that I couldn't ever have kids, we were blessed with our miracle daughter, McKenna. She's now seven, and she basically is like arguing with a miniature version of myself. Um, There she is. But becoming a mom is something I never thought would happen for me and something I didn't feel like I deserved because I was so afraid of damaging someone else because I felt damaged. But you know what? God never lets go of his promises. 
And in Ecclesiastes, he says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to the end. And being a mom makes me want to be the best person that God wants me to be. And I cannot thank God enough for how much he has rescued me. And I wish I had the time to go on and tell you about all the many blessings that God has given me. But all of these experiences have led me here today. Leading the student ministry and the teens here for the church that I love. And through his love and wonderful relationships of community, I know that God has healed me from addiction. And he set me free from my past trauma. And he's continuing to heal me. Because we're all a work in progress. And he's working on my anger and my grief and anxiety. And I'm so grateful. But as my faith continued to grow, and I've been working here at the JAR for about four years, I faced a lot of struggles, you guys. And life just hasn't let up. Both of my parents died from cancer within two years of each other. And... I took care of my dad for seven months when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. That was at my uh, master's. I got my master's degree, too, so I took it another level in college, and he came to my graduation with my daughter. And uh, I took care of him during that seven months that he lived of pancreatic cancer. And you guys, we had so many talks, and I spent so many days by his bedside in the hospital and in the nursing home, and I forgave him for all the past and we healed our relationship and in his own way he said things like I know I was not a good dad but I tried the best that I could and if you knew my dad that was kind of an apology okay (laughs) and so I'm so grateful for being able to know this sober side of my dad and this funny side of my dad and this soft side of my dad And the coolest thing is I prayed for him for eight years. You guys, ever since I became a Christian until the day that he passed, I had prayed for him and he surrendered his life to Christ on his deathbed. And so I know he's in heaven and John 8.36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And my mom, well, she was my best friend for as long as I can remember. And she was diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer four months after Dad died. So I was trying to work through this grief of Dad, and then we faced this other battle, and I, I really didn't think I would lose her. And my stepdad and I worked so hard to take care of her around the clock, and Scotty, my stepdad, and my mom both attended the jar, and they began to serve, and my stepdad still does. If you ever see him, say hi. Um... But the fight was hard, and I remember thinking, she's, she's going to beat this. And she even said that. I don't think this thing is going to take me out. And I remember driving back and forth to Indianapolis from the hospital, and I would sing that song, I'm going to see your victory, for the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not my battle. And my mom was my best friend. And she fought hard. And we held each other, and we laughed, and we cried. But in the end, she died. And I literally thought I would never get up off the floor. My good friend asked me, Dawn, how do you do it? How do you go on? And I have two responses. And I said, one, because I have to. 
and two, because of Jesus. Grief has been a struggle that I can't even begin to describe until you've went through it. It's this club that nobody wants to join. But I will tell you, there's a God on the throne in heaven who has been right by my side this entire time. And you know what? He can handle it when I'm mad and I scream. It's not fair. And my mom was only 58. My dad was 66. And I'm an orphan in my 30s. He's there when I cry myself to sleep. And he comforts me in his arms. And he is there when I comfort my little girl who does not understand why her mammal's gone. Her mammal that made her laugh and calmed her down. You guys, God can handle it. He can handle anything. He endured a cross for you and for me. And he can handle anything that you bring him in this life. My word for 2021 has been stand. Because I will stand in God's faithfulness. And when I feel like I cannot stand anymore, he will help me to stand. And I will stand in his promises and in his word. And I will be strong in him. 1 Corinthians 16.13 says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Change is a process that I'm still working on. But the beautiful thing is God wanted me just the way that I was. Messed up and broken. He let me trade my ashes for beauty. And you know, I always thought you had to get it all together. Like stop drinking, stop smoking, stop cussing. All these things before you could come to Christ. But that's not true. And if someone has ever told you that, they're a liar. The truth is he wants us just the way we are, messed up and broken, and never once have I been alone. And even in the darkest times, God has been right by my side, and he's never let me go at it alone. And I am so thankful for that. And God is healing me, and since I have surrendered to him, it's been this crazy, beautiful journey. And when I think of what God has done for me, I weep with joy Because he loves me enough to change me and I have this peace that surpasses all understanding and I can finally experience joy. Not happiness, guys. Joy. It's different. And I want everyone to know this loving and accepting God that I know. And I want people to know that there's a purpose for your pain and God never wastes a hurt. And you can surrender your broken hearts to our God. My life verse is Romans 8:38 through 39 and I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love not death or life not angels or demons not fears for today or worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love no power in the sky above or on the earth below indeed nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from God's love that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord you guys nothing can separate us from him Fill that in your program. If you didn't write anything down, please get that. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Not a door, not a mountain, not a trial, not pain, nothing. Not your past, not your sin. I don't care what you've done. He loves you and he wants to pursue you. And when I was trying to figure out what I should share with you, you guys, I faced a lot of obstacles getting up here today. My anxiety, I've been battling for weeks and I'm just like, was so terrified to share my story. But God has brought me through. And when I decided to share my story, I said, God, what do you want me to tell your people? And I didn't hear an audible voice, but I just felt this in my spirit. He said, tell my people I love them. He loves you guys so much. And if you ask me what God has done for me, 
former English teacher, of course, I had to write a poem. He took a girl who had to be tough and he softened her heart. He took a self-centered person and gave her a heart to serve. He took someone who resented marriage and made her a bride. He took someone who disliked children and made her a mom. He took a binge drinker and totally turned her around. He took a pill popper and set her free from addiction. He took someone in an abusive relationship and gave her the strength to walk away. He took a fighter and made her a peacemaker. He took someone who didn't value her body and made her pure. He took an orphan and became her father. He took all that pain and he said it wasn't for nothing. He told her that he would take it from her and he would carry it up that lonely hill. He told her he would die for it and take away death for her and he did. And you guys, he does the exact same thing just for you. And if you will op- if he will open that door for me and bring me through it and change me, there is no doubt he can do it for you. He died for you. Nothing can separate you from his love. So I want to ask you a question as we close. Will you open the door and allow him to be a part of your story today? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for rescuing me and allowing me to share my story. God, it's your story. It's your triumph. It's your victory through it all. And I just pray that if there's anyone here today struggling with something, they would surrender those hurts to you, God. They would open the door to you, whether they've never opened it or opened it a hundred times. God, allow them to open the door of their heart and allow you to enter. Jesus, thank you for being a God who never gives up on us. And I pray that anyone with a struggle can surrender it to you. And Jesus, if someone is wanting to accept you into their life today, I ask that they would repeat this prayer. And they can say it to themselves or they can say it out loud. You hear it no matter what, God. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I don't want to do it on my own anymore. I want you to be the author of my story. I open the door to you. I believe you died on the cross and rose again so that I could be free. Thank you for new life, Lord. I surrender mine to you. In Jesus' name, amen.